0: Hello, and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security, where we just uh, recovered from technical difficulties, but we still made it. How you doing, Zhao?
1: Uh, all good, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, yeah, technical difficulties is like the, the tag word for IT. So, yeah, just another day in the office.
0: It's kind of ironic having, you know, issues with technology when I have a platform about technology. I guess that just goes to show you that technology sucks for everyone, but some (laughs) people are just better at recovering than others, I suppose. I'm not really sure what it is. But speaking of recovering, we have to talk about VMware, which um, is going to be the topic for today because there's some shenanigans going, uh, some shenanigans afoot. And maybe some companies might be considering alternatives. What do you think, Joe?
1: Yeah. Um, so as a late Christmas gift, um, VMware actually confirmed that they would be killing off quite a lot of their products. Um, and VMware is obviously the, the main player in the virtualization space. And they have tools for managing virtual networks and virtual machines and cloud. And they provide uh, with, provide tools for the hyperscalers to give you their services. And it's really fundamental stuff. So yeah, whenever you start touching this, unlike our technical problems, there's no recovery from it. It's kind of like what happened with Red Hat, where when they did all those changes, there was no coming back from it anymore. And I think this is the same.
0: So if I remember correctly, I don't have the article right in front of me, but I I think I remember 56 projects are being sunsetted at VMware. And it's due to the acquisition or maybe a, a side effect of the acquisition. They were acquired by Broadcom for, wasn't it 60 something billion, dollars this ac- acquisition? And what's interesting, this is funny, but, but I have to mention this, 56 p- products sunset in one go, which is three less than the Google Graveyard application section at 59. <laughs> so VMware or Broadcom has closed more projects in one go, almost enough to mirror the entire Google graveyard for the application section. I mean, that's crazy.
1: And Microsoft has quite the body count on their backyard as well. Um, But yeah, Broadcom acquired VMware. They paid quite a hefty sum of money for VMware. And it looks like they're treating VMware as if it was just another hardware business. And fundamentally is not a hardware business. It has nothing to do with hardware, and it should not be managed the same way. The The main difference here, in my view, is that when you're dealing with, with a hardware company, and there's a problem in hardware, or you replace something, or you sunset a piece of equipment, you drop in another replacement, and everything continues as is. When you touch on something as fundamental as VMware, it will impact the entire infrastructure, because you have Basically, every other service running on top of virtual machines on top of VMware. So when you when you have to switch VMware out of the picture and replace it with something else, it means that you're going to have a whole lot of trouble everywhere else on in the infrastructures that stems from this. Um, I don't know. <laughs> to give you some perspective, the first time I touched virtualization was with VMware Workstation, like version two or three or something like that, still in the 90s, I believe. And that first moment when you see a computer booting inside another running computer, that's an eye opener. And it gives you a different perspective on things. And seeing VMware now change so much, it I don't know, it it feels weird for me.
0: It is weird. And it, it's weird for me too. and And From my standpoint, I think I had a similar, you know, um, relationship with virtualization because when I started, which, you know, virtualization was already around, but not everyone was using it yet. So, you know, we, we wanted a new server. We didn't spin up a virtual machine. We called Dell. We talked to our, you know, account rep and spec'd out a server. They sent it to us like a week or two later, we get the server, we rack it, we install the OS, blah, blah, blah. Um, And nowadays, it's just right-click a template, hit a button, and you have a server just that easy. It it really did change the game. But for me, it was like magic. It was like, how is this possible? Because I was new in IT. I didn't know barely anything. And this whole thing of a computer running inside of another computer, essentially, was just crazy. And as as a side note... I feel like virtualization is literally the hardest thing to explain to a non-tech person of all the things out there. Literally, you tell them it's a computer running inside a computer, they're probably going to think you have a computer with two chips inside or two separate motherboards. That, are some, that, that might be what they think, but to try to explain that an operating system runs inside another siloed in a way that it thinks it's running on real hardware that's emulated, that is not the easiest thing to explain. But even though it's not easy to explain to a non-tech person, it was transformative and still is because companies still use it. And it's at the back end of cloud. A lot of people switch to the cloud and they don't realize they're running virtual machines. The only thing that's different is they're not running the hypervisor. But VMware really changed the game. And it was especially important with Linux, because even if, you know, you didn't, have Linux running inside a company, you might be running Linux on your computer and you might have a couple of applications that need Windows for whatever reason. It was very common to have a Windows VM on your machine and VMware was a very popular way of doing that. But their enterprise aspect of the business is what we're gonna be talking about because we have companies that are built that are basing their entire data center on this. So this is not a small footprint.
1: Absolutely not. Um, and All the consolidation that you get from virtualization, all the cost savings that you get from running multiple low impact virtual machines on the same hardware, all of that. And those are all benefits that basically any hypervisor can give you. So if you switch from VMware to Hyper-V or to XCPNG or Proxmox or something like that, you can replicate the the same gains. The problem here is the switch itself. Just like for Red Hat, when you had to switch from CentOS to something else, there was always this, the, the impact, the time that you would waste doing it, chasing down the bugs and the, fixing everything and making sure that nothing broke during the, the migration and all of that. There's the same thing that's going to happen with the, with the move away from VMware, if that's the route that you're going to take. And in this case, the problem is that because they are killing off the products, as offer as standalone offerings, and I'll get a bit more into that in a minute. Um, you are not you're not left with the option of I don't know just remaining where you are because you're going to be out of support. You're going to lose the license which again, they actually killed off perpetual licenses, which was something that was available and they killed them off. They're going to sunset that. I really have no idea how they're going to manage the ones that are already in play, but it's basically like, okay, remember that thing that I sold you that said that you have a get out of jail free card? That no longer works. So it's bait and switch here. Um, And it's not that Today And this is just today. It's not that it's impossible to run the same workloads on different hypervisors, like I said. But the the cost in switching, the amount of work that it implies and all of that, it's going to be really tricky for teams to react in time for this. And, And VMware did something else. They have this because the outcry was so large, they made a different blog post about this and they have this huge list of products where they list the the available alternative right now. So they're coming out with something called VMware uh, Cloud Foundation, VMware vSphere Foundation. And they're giving you the equivalent from an old product into the new product. The thing is, there are products that have no equivalent today, so you're left on your own. And there is stuff that doesn't align properly. Uh, so, basically, they're lumping all the stuff about uh, virtualiz- about network virtualization into just one offering when it was something that was useful for everybody running from vSphere to more complicated setups, um, even to the people doing containerization. They could uh, touch on different aspects of virtualized networks, um, and... The, the way that this touches on security and why it's relevant for our podcast, for example, is that all the, the years of practice that you have on this, all the certifications that you have from managing VMware and from handling the errors and from learning how to configure it and how to use it properly and how to secure it, all of that has to be restarted if you're changing the platform. It's not just about switching the hypervisor for something else. You have to learn how to use it. and. Sure, every sysadmin can spin up an instance of XCPNG or a new cluster or spin up Hyper-V if that's your your poison. But learning the intricacies of each one of them and learning how to fix those issues, it's going to take a long time to learn all of that and to get teams up to speed again. And that's really, really costly for, for organizations.
0: Yeah, you know, um, there, there, so there's a couple things to unpack here. But one thing I kind of want to put in every, everyone's mind as we get deeper into this story is to think about the security side, the cost side, because at first someone might be thinking that this is a security podcast and we're talking about a hypervisor solution. But yes, this does have to do with security. If you think about it, change is risk, especially unexpected change. Now. To put it even more into perspective, most of the, I don't know if I want to say most, but a great deal of the change in IT is expected. Okay. I don't care if you're running Windows or Linux, you know, and everyone knows that at some point that operating system version will be end of life. I don't care if it has five years of support, a bunch of years of support, eventually it won't. And before that day comes, you're going to have to be prepared to migrate to another operating system. But Or version, but you knew that day would come. That's not a surprise. Nobody's going to be surprised if Microsoft releases a new version of Windows Server or a new version of Red Hat comes out. We all know that's going to happen. But when we have unexpected change, and one of the more recent ones was, you know, I I feel like it's impossible not to bring up CentOS 8 in this conversation because it's a perfect example. They 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 said, you know, you're going to get a certain amount of support businesses took that as gospel, used that as the basis of their decision-making process, might've landed on CentOS 8, just to regret it later when they're gonna pull the support plug all of a sudden. And they might've already spent a bunch of money to migrate to CentOS 8. Sure, they could download it for free, but that doesn't mean it is free. There's a cost in paying the people to do the thing. There's you know, all, the, all these costs to run the infrastructure and to create a project around it takes cost. And it's even worse if you have your budget allocated for the entire year and all of a sudden you have to do something that you didn't expect to do. Now with VMware and companies like it, you know, when when you're trying to find out what software to use, usually it plays out the same way. You you have an account rep or a salesperson that becomes an account rep and they tell you we're here for you, we're always gonna be here, we've been here for this number of years, we have this big track record of being here, and we're always gonna be there for you. And then a week later, oh, by the way, the perpetual licensing is gone and all this other things. They didn't care about that um, at first. And sure, to the account rep, they might not have even known like this was gonna happen, but still the point is the company is there for you and they want your money, but as soon as they get bought out or go a different direction, the direction they go may not be consistent with where you as a company wanna take your data center. And if aligning to their new way forward doesn't work for you, then a sudden change in migration is the result. Now at first, this this seems easy at first. Let me explain. So there's all kinds of tools out there to export a virtual machine disk and import it into another hypervisor. Even if you don't wanna use one of those solutions, you could you be clever and use clonezilla to take a you know virtual disk image and and copy it over there if you really want to do it a cheesy way but there's all kinds of different ways that you you could do this so getting your vms over there might be a bit of work but it's not going to be the the worst part it's after you get the virtual machines on a new solution where it becomes a problem because in my career i've seen all these things like um, a Windows VM on a, on a hypervisor can't connect to the network and it works fine on any other server, but on this one in particular, you have to use a different virtual network card That for whatever reason. Or maybe you need a graphical user interface and the new one doesn't have the same video driver or the patching process is different. So now you have to change how you do a maintenance cycle. Updates are more frequent, less frequent, have a different process of installing. And even if all of that works fine, you're new to the platform, you don't really know how stable it is. It could fall over tomorrow because there was some kind of, um, I don't want to say best practice, but I will, that you didn't know to follow. So moving to it's easy, it's everything after that that becomes a real big challenge.
1: Yeah. And again, it's not even standing up the new platform. Proxmox, XP, PNG. Zen if you want to go old school and be out of support as well. But still, um, there are multiple alternatives out there to move away from VMware if all you care about is running virtual machines. The problem, like you just said, is after you migrate the virtual machines, the drivers will be different. The feature set, the CPU is showing to the guest systems will be different because not all hypervisors present the same feature set. Not all of them present the the CPU as the same CPU that's on the physical hardware, but um, the tiny quirks about, for example, the stuff that you can pass through to a virtual machine. One might let you pass through a full network adapter, the other might not. You'll have to use a virtualized one. So when you're trying to migrate 10, 100 virtual machines and you have a competent team around you, this is a doable task in a given time frame. But when you have thousands of virtual machines, when you have thousands of systems that you now need to move away from VMware, now it's no longer just a migration. Now they're basically just extorting you for money. Yeah, we have this new solution that's more expensive. You either pay up or you're screwed. Um, it's a really tight spot to be in. Um, and again, like you said, unexpected for most people because they basically announced this. Like, I'm not. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but it was at the end of last year. It might have been November or something like that. They put out the first blog post about it but people actually started to notice that when they were being contacted by the sales reps and that's when everything kind of <laughs> drove out of the way um still this is a really big move for Broadcom. Um, they've been making acquisitions in the past few years, left and right. They've been buying many different companies. Um, but VMware is top shelf stuff. They, it's like buying one of the very large companies out there. It's like, I don't know, Microsoft buying Apple or something like that. They might have bitten more than they can chew. And the thing here is that they are entirely focused just on the very large customers. They are... Actually, there's rumors that they're trying to to sell off the, um, all the stuff that deals with the smaller customers and with the actual end users and split that away from the company. Um, so there might be something there. And it's also interesting to notice that if you go through the list of the products out there and the products that have been discontinued are just the ones that touch directly on virtual machines. They didn't touch any of the containerization stuff. Things like Tenzu, Absolutely no changes. They are still available. You, they, they have still add-ons available that you can purchase. That's going to remain. It's as if they're. And someone mentioned this in the chat as well before. It's as if they're. They are assuming that virtual machines are no longer something that people are interested in.
0: Yeah, it's 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 just like the people that have been saying for the past ten years. That DevOps is just a term that's going to go away when, you know, I've been saying the entire time, no, it's not. And here we are. And DevOps is still very much a thing. Um, you know, the same kind of mindset everyone wants. To, but but um, another thing that I want to really touch on, though, before we get into the meat of this, is I want to bring up a comment that I think is going to be a question that a lot of people will have. Um, I love the username cats, bots, and hacking. I mean, I love cats, I love bots, and hacking is fun. So I guess it's like three really great things in one username, so that's pretty cool. Um, so basically, this individual is asking, why are people opting for commercial software like VMware when free and open source solutions exist that might be more reliable? So I definitely wanted to touch on this because um, the thing is, but in a lot of companies, I don't want to generalize all companies, so I'll just say a lot of companies, the mindset of the CTO is not the same as the mindset of the engineer. Now, sometimes, and this is really cool when this happens, a systems engineer graduates into management, then they have all that you know work in the trenches to to bring to the table. But when you go to college, and this is true of my degree as well, when you get to the management layer, they're not teaching you technical things anymore. They're teaching you um, policies, and, and this is all stuff that you should know. But you know, you have a different mindset with CTOs. But at the same time, you also have a different mindset company wide because it's all about liability. So if you have an open source solution. Um, Sometimes there might be stigma at a company. They might think, well, if it's free, it's bad. You get what you pay for. we didn't pay for anything, it's bad. Even though we all know that's not true. How much you pay for something doesn't necessarily equate to its value. Um, But that's how they think. And they, they want a support agreement. They want someone else to be on the hook. So if something happens, let's say systems fall over, The next thing after it's on, you know, everything's back up and running is like, who did this? Like, or, you know, I don't want to make it out to be like every company's out to get their employees. It's not like that. But usually at most companies, it's like, okay, how did this happen? And what the CTO would want to do in this case is say, uh, VMware dropped the ball because they didn't answer our ticket in a timely manner. They broke the SLA. And now, um, it's their fault. So now nobody at the company is on the hook. Nobody's getting written up. Even if it was somebody's fault at the company, maybe they'll say it's VMware's fault. Again, I'm not trying to generalize all the companies out there, but it's all about having someone else to put the liability on. And you can still get that with open source solutions, You could, but you're probably paying for a support agreement with a different company. But I also don't want people to think that this won't happen with open source solutions because we also just um, been through a whole, you know, show around Red Hat and CentOS and and support agreement. I'm not gonna go through all that again, but believe me, it can happen with open source as well. It's less likely, but I just wanted to kind of explain what the mindset often is in companies and why this is something that people just don't gravitate to normally.
1: Let me touch a bit on that as well. Um it's also about compliance. Specific industries have specific compliance requirements. Part of that compliance requirement means that you have to do things in a certain time frame or in a certain way, and it has to be auditable. So you have to have something to show for what you're doing. And the way most companies deal with that is like you said, by asking for support agreements with third parties that offer them SLA so that they can show that they are fixing or trying to fix and address issues within a certain timeframe in accordance to the compliance that they are trying to meet, or they just want the peace of mind of having somebody to on, on the other end of the phone when they have an unsolvable situation and they need some help. That also helps. That also happens. In fact, at TexCare, we actually had, and I've talked about this in the past, we have extended support for CentOS 7 if you're stuck with it and you haven't planned away from it. and one of the requests that we had, and we had this from multiple customers, was that they needed an SLA associated with the service. So we introduced different tires for CentOS 7 for the extended support. You now have a tire where you have SLAs and you have that uh, peace of mind. And we have another tire where you don't have the SLAs, but you also get the updated uh, patches and security fixes. And the reason why people ask for that is because they work in specific industries where they have to have that uh, that badge of honor if you call it it's not a badge of honor obviously it's a compliance requirement it's something that they have to present to their auditors but business wise that's very important for them it means they can continue to do business for example when you do business with the government with the federal government or local government in the US you need to to be able to show that you meet a certain type of requirements. Part of that includes this, includes handling uh, vulnerabilities, includes dealing with security issues in a specific timeframe and specific way, and this is what this type of agreements will give you. And that is why people gravitate to solutions like VMware over free stuff. The mindset usually is, okay, if I have a problem with VMware, I can call them up and their support is top-notch, they're going to solve my problem or it's a bug, they escalate and they have their engineers and they're pretty knowledgeable and they will help us solve this. If I'm running QMU KVM or if I'm running something that's open source and I don't have a support agreement with someone, then we have to solve the problem and we might not have the expertise to solve the problem. Because it's something that sometimes eludes people with this type of open source solutions. Yeah, they're free. Yeah, you can download and install it. But you have to know how to use it. And these are pretty complex things. You're talking about hypervisors, you're talking about virtualization, you're handling different layers of the, the IT stack, you're handling hardware, you're handling networking, you're handling operating systems, communications, all of that. Problems can arise e- anywhere. and that's why VMware wins some deals. It's precisely because people are willing to pay to have them help them in case of a problem.
0: It's like man- it's managing risk, essentially. And there's different kinds of risk. And it's, it's definitely a, a, an interesting mindset to wrap your head around, especially if you're a technical person. I feel like it's a battle between um, conservatives and progressives. And I'm not talking about politics here. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to make this a political podcast at all. But it seems like there's a similar mindset with technology. You have more conservative engineers and CTOs. You have more progressive engineers and CTOs. Maybe one side is more likely to try the new way forward. Maybe Another side is just more set in their ways and it's just going to take them longer to try it out. Either way, um, you could argue one, you know, on both sides. But here, it doesn't matter what side you fall on because VMware is making a lot of changes and you have to make a decision as a business if you want to continue down that road. And I think that's um, always an important thing to think about. But now it's forcing the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And another conversation that people will have to face right now is that they have teams that have VMware certifications, that have the experience in handling VMware and that now will have to retool and reskill and learn something completely different. And The basics are exactly the same. They're hypervisors. They provide you with virtualizations. You can do basically the same thing on any of the hypervisors out there. Whatever one you pick, you'll be able to create VMs and spin up new systems, and they will all run Windows. They will all run Linux. Some of them will run ARM if that's your poison. Um, That's not the issue. It's learning the intricacies of all of them. Um, That's where... And again, this is where some of the the open source projects will still be lacking. You can get VMware certifications easily. They're expensive. You do the training, you do the tests, you get the certified, and that badge will say, will tell people, yeah, this guy he learned at least something about VMware. He might know a thing or two about it. Sometimes there's not the equivalent for other projects. Um, so you you'll be hard pressed to find certifications for. I'm going to throw some names out there: XCPNG, Proxmox again. Um, Microsoft has certifications for HyperV, for the exact, pre- the exactly the same reason. It gives you the confidence in the ability of the people handling this type of infrastructure. It's not that the certifications are the end all and be all for all of this. God knows I'm not particularly happy about certifications myself and don't really believe in them. But in the industry, that's the accepted practice right now. And when you switch away from it, you're invalidating all the certifications that your team has because they're no longer, they're no longer necessary. They're no longer a, a factor in what you do.
0: So we have 56 things that are being sunset here. So the last thing I want to do is go through an entire list and read them all because we'll have you know, a link in the, in the show notes. But in your view, what in particular are the things that we should worry about um, among that?
1: Well, if you have a home lab at home, and many of us do, um, you might be running ESXi and that's going away. Um, so that's a tough blow for the people with the, the home labs at home. But again, those are the ones that probably are easier to have the easier time moving away from it because it's just a fun project for you to do on, on yeah, a weekend. We'll have fun doing great.
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have an excuse to try something new. I'll just explain that to my yeah. significant other, and that's why my head's going to be down at the keyboard for the next several
1: hours every day for a month. Huh? Uh, yeah, but xi that's one of the ones that's going away. Uh, most vSphere editions will be going away, except for the Enterprise Plus one, I believe. And I'm quoting this from the top of my head, so I might be mistaken. But that means the most basic versions of vSphere are going away. You'll have to pay for the most expensive one if you want to keep using vSphere. Um, Again, they are only interested in catering to the very large customers, the ones that another zero in the the bill might not make them too angry. So they will pay for that version, but most other people will not. The ones that say are going to be the ones touching on containerization, the ones touching on NCX, like virtual networking stuff, that's going away as well. That's all going to be included in in the VMware Cloud Foundation stuff, which again, it's directly targeted at cloud hyperscalers. We, the guys with the deep pockets, so it's something that most companies will not be able to afford anyway. Moving forward. Um, And to me, those are the standouts. But there's quite a lot of products going away, and it's a very long list. It's very annoying to see some of that stuff going away because it has been touted as being really good and top of the line and the best that you can get for your virtualization needs, anything from management to actually hypervisor stuff. And now it's just gone.
0: Yeah, so if you have a home lab... um Have a have a fun weekend. You're going to love this. You're going to try out one of the alternatives. You're going to think it's great. Uh, Maybe you'll watch videos on my channel, Tom's channel, or any of the other channels out there that cover this kind of thing, and you're going to have a lot of fun. But if you're working for a company, you might be thinking, oh, gosh, I'm not going to have uh, much free time for a while because of this massive project all of a sudden and we literally have someone in the uh, chat room, and I'm not going to put this person on the screen for the live version, because I don't even know if, you know if they wanna be on record for this, but they're saying they have 15,000 VMs, okay? It's one thing to migrate a dozen VMs on, on your home lab, okay? Imagine dealing with 15,000. Like, even though it's easy to like, export a VM and import it into another service, if you have to do that 15,000 times, even that becomes a major pain. And even then, like we were saying, you're gonna to have to deal with version, or I should say platform differences that are gonna come about as you come up to speed with a new platform. And even then you gotta find a support agreement with someone that'll support the solution. So,
1: And I'm betting those 15,000 VMs were not spun up by hand. So you have your deployment scripts and your management scripts and all of that. And all of that will have to be redone. Because the ones that work with VMware will not work exactly the same with any of the other platforms. So those are the things that you need to touch on. Um, the scriptings, the ansible scripts, the puppet chef, the I don't know, whatever else you're using, there's quite a few out there. Um, whatever else you're using, you'll have to adapt this the, um, the scripts to handle a different platform moving forward.
0: You bring up a lot of good points because I mean here we have a, a potential massive project for a lot of companies out there, and, all these differences between platforms to consider. So it's definitely anything but easy, but here we are with um, a potential big project for a lot of people. So um, this is, there's going to be some interesting things coming out about this, I I think. And um, it's just going to be something that we have to deal with every now and then it sucks when it happens, but um, I think maybe we should consider talking about some of the alternatives and maybe give someone out there a feel for what's out there in the industry that they might want to take a look at.
1: Okay, so the first one, if you want to go with the big name company that has support and all of that, but is not open source, um, Microsoft has Hyper-V. There was quite a fuss about Microsoft killing Hyper-V server and all of that. No, Hyper-V is still there. What they killed was the downloadable, the free downloadable, where you could get just Windows Server with just the Hyper-V role and the management tools. You would get no other UI. That has been killed off. But if you have uh, Windows Server licenses, you can still deploy the the Hyper-Vs. roll there and it will work just fine. You can deploy just fine. And there's, it's not going away anytime soon.
0: And one thing I wanted to mention, I meant to mention this earlier, we have these automation tools and the best part about this is most of the time you can point it at another server and run your tools and it might work fine. There's always gonna be differences, but sometimes I feel like we over um, overdo the, the, the claims about automation because Terraform, for example, is not going to be the same. You're going to have syntactical similarities in the way that it works. But the way that Terraform works is that you have a provider, okay? You you download a provider for the thing that you want Terraform to automate for you. So if you use Terraform, you probably downloaded a provider for VMware, and then that allows you to interface with that. But if you're using something else, You have to download a different provider and then change all of your scripts because some of the um, syntax will be different between the two. They're not going to be the same. Um, So even though I love Terraform, it's just not true that you write once and run everywhere. That's just not the way it works. You have to download a provider for the one that you go with and then change all of your scripts to be compatible with that provider. And that's literally what a lot of people are going to have to be going through.
1: That will happen regardless of what you pick to move to. It doesn't have to, it's not something specific to Hyper V or to any of the others. It doesn't matter. As soon as you move away from VMware, things will have to be adapted. Um, Another alternative that's quite recent and actually very fun and interesting is XCPNG. I've actually used it a few times, not in an enterprise setting, just on the home lab, and it served me perfectly fine i can basically do all the things that i do with um, with vmware with the sxi i can pass through devices i can move all the um, all the networking on top of it and it happens just fine um personally i like it if i had to pick something if i was on a position where i was running a team or something like that that would be something that i would be looking at for many reasons but specifically because i like the, the the philosophy of the project i like the the way that they're handling things and the way that they're releasing things consistently and the quality of the releases they build. Um, so yeah, for me personally, it would be XCPNG.
0: And I like Proxmox a lot. Now on my channel, it's something that I cover, just kind of throwing that out there so people know that obviously, you know, I get a little bit of ad revenue if people check out my Proxmox series. But I'm not going to say Proxmox is better than XCPNG. And I'm not going to say and G is better than Proxmox. And the reason why, even though people want me to pick a side, I won't, because I love them both. There's pros and cons on both sides, but literally I felt like I could flip a coin and whichever one I landed on, I would have been fine with. The only re- the reason why I went with Proxmox is because it has C container support built right in. So you could choose to create a VM or a container, depending on what you need, right there in the interface, nothing to download. Um, so that was a tiebreaker, But then again, I'm not even using that feature. I ended up building a Kubernetes cluster on top of Proxmox and that's what provides my VMs. And there's nothing unique about that. You could run that same setup I have on XCPNG and it'll be you know, run exactly the same for the most part. So um, I think they're both really, really good. Now, my opinion is that XCPNG is going to scale much better when you have a ridiculous number of hypervisors. Like if you're a company with a massive footprint, I think XCPNG is gonna be a great fit for you. Um, I I don't know this for sure, but I just feel like Proxmox wouldn't do that well as well. But Proxmox is also awesome. If you're not like this major conglomerate, I think even Proxmox would be just fine for you. But it, knowing Proxmox like I do, given I have the series about it, even I've run into things a year later that I didn't expect, that I didn't know I needed to do, like, like having a dedicated communication network is so important to a cluster of Proxmox servers that you could have things fail and you can't figure out why. And it's just because they don't have a dedicated uh, control channel, which was never an issue until I scaled up high enough to where that became an issue. So you run into these things. And I know you will because my company has run into things as I continually roll things out on Proxmox. I still run into stuff. So it's just something that's an eventuality. It's going to happen. You're going to run into stuff.
1: Yeah. Those are the the things that we mentioned when we talked about quirks and the stuff that happens after you move to, to a different platform things that you need to, to look out for. If you're trying new platforms and you're trying to pick an alternative for VMware, you should look for some facility for live migration of virtual machines, how easy it is to configure, how easy it is to deploy. Um, you should look at how easy it is to set up clusters, if you need quorum devices, if the, the, the nodes themselves can handle not having a quorum, a dedicated quorum device. Um, if, like you said, you need a dedicated um uh, network to pass the the communication and control stuff, or if it can happen on the same one for the, the rest of the traffic, or if it's just a different VLAN, because different hypervisors will handle this type of quirks slightly different. This is where there's differences between them. They give you the same functionality, but they are implemented slightly different, because at the end of the day, it's just a matter of taste of whoever developed them. Um, some might feel that you don't need a quorum device, just you don't need a special share, just to make sure that you have always have a quorum. One small cluster, for example. Uh, others will assume that your clusters will always be large enough that you, the quorum doesn't even make sense. By the way, a quorum is a term that you're using in that you use in clusters to decide when one half of the cluster can't see the other one, which one is the live one and which one is the one that has the issues. And they have to be able to handle that gracefully or else both will think that they're both primary and you'll have some overlap as they both try to recover.
0: Which is called fencing, if anyone was curious when that happens.
1: And it's really nasty. Um, but um, it's in this type of stuff that you might find that one is more adapted to your particular use case than another. Something like you said is that it depends on your workload. If you're if you're just if you just care about the workload itself, you're just crunching numbers, if you're just handling containers basically and, and you don't really care about running full guest operating systems, then containers are a great way to move forward. And if that's the case, maybe you don't even need to move away from VMware at all because they're still supporting that but there are open source alternatives out there to manage containers, anything from Docker to Podman, which is the Docker with a different name, Kubernetes, whatever else you want to use, it's just containers in the end. Um, Yeah. But again, it depends on your workload. If your use case requires you to have a full UI, requires you to have a full guest system running, then you need full virtual machines. And this is where I think VMware is maybe dropping the ball a bit when they take these movies, just they're assuming that virtual machines are going to be losing importance. Sure, you now have a huge amount of containers out there, but virtual machines still have niche use cases. And maybe niche was not the, the right word there. Um, still have their use cases. They're very prevalent today. Most the most important single use case is still then true virtual machines rather than containers. Because there's lots of workloads that you can't just multiply indefinitely in multiple containers at the same time, or you can't reduce enough to fit into a container. They're just not the right fit for containers, so you have to still run them on virtual machines. And that's where you need to switch.
0: Yep, I completely agree with you. And if you think we're exaggerating about, you know, differences in hypervisors causing massive differences in how you do business, consider deep learning companies, okay? they really care about how things are com- computed, okay? Down to the, like, the, I don't know if it's nanoseconds or less. I mean, they're really micromanaging their CPUs and the slightest difference can have a cascading effect on the business. And you might not be a difference that would be important to you because maybe you don't care if it's like a net like a half a second different or something nobody's going to notice but as long as if you're a data warehouse database company something like that you really do care about this and and it's going to hit them harder than i think it hits others
1: again those will probably be the ones with deeper pockets these will true. be the ones that will <laughs> be true. stuck will be stuck with vmware regardless of what changes they make and have the money to pay for the large products so they can still continue to get support Um, again the past couple of years have been quite rough for IT, we've had lots of sweeping changes that nobody was expecting, we didn't quite see the the land shift with CentOS Um, people are still not completely understanding the the fundamental shift that's going to happen with CentOS 7 going away again in the middle of uh, this year, this stuff with VMware, it's also foundational there are quite a few things that you've been used to having around for your entire career in IT that are no longer there by the end of this year. And that's gonna be really, really difficult to handle for some people.
0: It really is because one of my, um, it's just a personal pet peeve. I'm not judging anybody here, but it is, maybe a pet peeve is too strong of a word. Maybe a concern. When you have someone that's brand new to tech, like IT, they have just started. And no judgment again, because I, you know, thought all kinds of things when I first started, some probably crazier than other people, but they might have a, a mindset that they're all in on something. So for example, everything has to be a container. I don't care. Everything's a container, right? Um, just like at first when v- you know, VMware came out, everything has to be a VM. Like the, the newer technology people, they always want to be all in on everything. I, I knew someone who was all in on AWS, you know, and they were an expert on it, didn't know anything else. They're all in on that. Everything needs to be in AWS. But now when you have a situation like this in your career, that's when you learn this lesson the hard way that you should never be all in on anything. It's about what tool is the best for the job. Just to your point, you mentioned containers and virtual machines. You might have a bunch of containers, maybe you have thousands of them. And then you have like one application that just does not work well in a container and must be in a virtual machine. You can't be all in on any one thing. That's just not gonna happen. But now you have people's careers built around one thing and their certification might not be good for anything um, You know, pretty soon because of things like this, which is always why I think people should at least have a plan B in their career. And speaking of which, Someone in the chat room asked, why don't companies have a plan A and plan B? Why do they have to like do this last minute? Why couldn't they be testing some other hypervisor parallel to the one that they have? Now, one thing I'll say about that is if companies always made the right decision, we wouldn't have nearly as much to talk about on this podcast, okay? Okay. The fact is, companies don't always make the right decisions. It could be because they didn't know to make that decision, or it could be because their people are spread so thin, they just don't have the the time to develop a plan B. Now, in my case, I always have a plan B and also a plan C, and it worked out because I switched away from Ubuntu to Debian last year, and, That was a company decision that I made and I decided I'm gonna move everything over. What did I do? Pretty much nothing, everything's automated. I just said, fine, just delete everything and spin up Debian machines and done. I think it took like a couple of days Um, because I was in parallel having the same setup on Debian with my Ansible config and also Arch Linux, believe it or not, and and Ubuntu had three different distributions that you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference if you looked at because I have them coming out identical through the automation system. So for me, it was easy for my business, but most businesses are not like me. Most businesses are just-in-time everything. Everything is just-in-time as much as they don't want to admit that.
1: And it's also the time and the effort that it takes to have the and do the testing for a proper plan B because it's not just writing in paper. OK, if I don't have this, then I'm going to have that. You have to actually test it. You have to deploy the the, the workloads that you're using right now. You have to make sure that everything is working fine. And that takes time. That takes away resources that you would rather use for something else. And so companies try to skirt it as much as possible. And that's why it gets avoided going back to something you said there about uh, going all in on something one time I saw a company that was so into virtual machines that they had a virtual machine for the DHCP server, a virtual machine for the DNS server, a virtual machine for the NTP server and then they had problems config- getting them all to talk to each other and they had issues configuring them all together because they should be services running on the same system. And so <laughs> they were introducing additional latency there and then they would have requested would fail and would not update the DNS because the time wasn't synced up properly because they were going all in on virtual machines. So they went for full segmentation and separation of services and roles and responsibilities and everything, every different service had to be on a different virtual machine. And that was their policy and that Gave them real headaches to solve. Uh huh. Yeah, going one way is bad, going the other way is not very good either. So,
0: and we say all of that to say this we would love to give you an easy answer be like, just do A, B, C, and D, and you'll be fine, and everything will work out for you. But unfortunately, sometimes there just isn't an easy solution. If you work at a company that Uses VMware and you have like five virtual machines or something, then you don't care. I mean, you, you could probably just do this in a weekend or whatever, and 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 deal with the fallout when users complain on Monday. But when you have like that one individual had fifteen thousand servers, I mean, that's a much much bigger thing to to deal with there. And that that's there's just no easy way to deal with this. You might have your automation tools tuned, and it doesn't go the way you think just because of driver differences. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And even if you did have a plan B, let's just play devil's advocate. Your company has a plan B hypervisor. You have tested every application, every setting. You know what drivers you're supposed to be using. Um, your automation is tested regularly and works. And you're just going to switch it over, OK? And, and maybe to your defense, it works just fine. But once your users get a hold of it, Okay, trust me on this. I don't care how many times you've tested this. Sure, you're gonna be ahead of anyone else and you're gonna be ahead like you're the, you're within the one percent if you're that prepared. But even then, your users get a hold of it, and Joe, you laugh because you know this is true. As soon as the users get a hold of it, they will find things that you never thought of. and you will be dealing with an influx of tickets, no matter how much you're prepared for this. The moral of the story, unfortunately, this is not an easy situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Um, Yeah, I guess this wraps up our episode for today. Um, Again, another foundational shift that's going to happen in the industry. So people should really start, I would say, planning. But this is already upon us. So people should start testing different alternatives that they want to move to and find whatever fits their own situation the best. Um, whatever works with the hardware that they have. That's something I didn't mention before. There might be different hardware requirements for different hypervisors. You need to make sure that the ones that you pick will actually run on the devices that you have, especially if you have servers that are in the five-year range, something like that, where there was this introduction of new CPU CPU features that were not present before and became an, a requirement since. Um, you really need to test those servers to see if they can run the, the newer stuff that you're trying to, to get. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely know more about this in the coming weeks. And again, Thank you, everybody who joined. As always, it was a pleasure. Hope you guys were made aware of stuff that you weren't before. Um, And see you soon on the next one.
0: Thanks again.